Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association. The voice of real estate. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Assembly Democrats have elected new leaders heading into the new year. Plus, lawmakers approved raises for all district attorneys in the state besides one. We'll tell you why. And the new message from health officials as hospitals enter a breaking point due to COVID-19 infections. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for December 24th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R. Ross, uh, let's start with the new Assembly Democratic leadership. That mm-hmm. was the big news this week. We have Greta Neubauer is now the newly elected Assembly Democratic leader. And we have Kaylin Hayward, who's 22 years old, that will take the assistant minority position. Now, here are some facts about their background. Now, Neubauer is 30, and in, she was elected in January of 2018 Excuse me, during a special election. She served on the joint finance this season, and her father also served in the Assembly during the 80s. Mother is an appeals court judge who ran for state Supreme Court in 2019 but lost. So she comes from, you know, like we've talked, I think, on the uh, show before about a very Democratic background, Mm -hmm. uh, those who are very familiar in politics. And then when you look at Hayward, uh, he is 22 years old. He's elected the assistant minority leader, and he was first elected in 2018 at 19 years old. He was the youngest uh, serving lawmaker in Wisconsin history. So let's first hear from Neubauer herself about her taking over this position. Today, I am asking for your support in my run to be the Assembly Democratic leader. While I come to this work hoping to build connection and find common ground, I am also prepared to face our state's challenges head on. The GOP knows that they are losing ground with the people of Wisconsin and that the only way they can win is to sow division and double down on the worst that President Trump brought out of the Republican Party. We know that the next year will not be easy, but it will be incredibly important. And I will put everything I have into this role if I'm elected. I'll work to build the connections, strategy, and infrastructure to move our shared values and priorities forward. I'll make tough decisions and push back when necessary. And I will do everything in my power to provide more opportunities for every member to lead on the issues that they are most passionate about. It will take all of us to bring our caucus through the challenges that we face. And I look forward to doing that work of building a more resilient Wisconsin. Seeing as there is only one nominee, I would entertain a motion for a unanimous ballot. Are there any objections? Hearing none, congratulations, Greta Neubauer. So, JR, we have Neubauer and Hayward. It's rare that we see both two leaders coming in at mm-hmm. the same time, and that both seats were open. So kind of talk about a little bit about the uniqueness and just uh, kind of their historic uh, nature of getting into these positions. So I've seen leadership changes, um, but that's because the person was forced out. This is not the case. Uh, Gordon Hintz, who's a Democrat from Oshkosh, he basically wasn't excited about running for election in 2020. Uh, did it and kind of committed to being minority leader again through the budget and redistricting. Those are both basically done from the legislature, legislature's perspective, so he decided time was time to focus on his family and his district. That opened that seat up. Diane Hasselbein, the assistant minority leader, 
She's going to run for state senate because Jonathan Bach is retiring, not seeking re-election next fall. She's in that district as of right now. Can't wait for the final lines to be drawn, but she's in a strong position to win that seat um, next fall. She was focused on her Senate race. So unique opportunity. The interesting thing is for these two young Democrats is they're really young. Mm-hmm. Um, Neubauer is the youngest person to have led a caucus in either house since 1943. Uh, according to the Legislative Reference Bureau, she has only been there since January of 2018. Kaylin Haywood since uh, like November of 2018. It's a young caucus, though. They reflect that. Um, of the 38 members right now, 18 were elected from January of 18 on. That's not a very deep experience for the caucus. And the questions are, how are Neubauer and Haywood going to lead this caucus going forward? Neubauer is from a very Democratic district, so is Haywood. They're both in southeastern Wisconsin. But how do you protect Steve Doyle in Alaska or Beth Myers up in northern Wisconsin, Nick Milroy in northern Wisconsin? How do you keep those few rural Dems you have left in the caucus how do you cater a message that appeals to the base, which is basically Milwaukee and Madison anymore, mm-hmm. urban areas, you know, Green Bay and Eau Claire, um, Stevens Point, do that, but also take care of those guys who have a little bit different interests. That's going to be a challenge when we're going forward. Also worth noting, Neubauer, who's bisexual, I believe is the first openly LGBTQ leader in state history. They don't keep records on that, but uh, can't find anybody else who matches that description. So it's really a, a first. Uh, for Democrats. The question, again, is more about not that, but how does she lead them going forward? What's the message going to be? And she has a huge challenge ahead of her. She's got to now recruit candidates for the November election, raise money, and do all these things that usually you have a two-year session to do. Now, being the finance committee, um, you're probably part of the leadership fundraisers and those kind. You're meeting the people who write the checks because you're in leadership, essentially, in in finance. But she's not the point person for that. Gordon Hintz has been. So she has a steep learning curve to build a staff, both inside and outside the building, um, connect with those folks, recruit the candidates. I mean, prepare for a very difficult environment. With maps, you're not quite sure what the lines are going to look like. It's, it's going to be a challenge for her. And it's hard to fundraise for seats and for the party when, you know, Republicans have long controlled yeah. the Assembly and the Senate. So it's a, yeah. it's a difficult task ahead. It's a great point. What's your fundraising pitch? Right, We're right. a minority, but not that it could be We're not, not that, that bad of a minority, so right. it could be a little bit bigger. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and with this announcement, there was a little bit of a backlash, and that was from Representative Jimmy Anderson. He was originally one of the five Democrats who was indicating plans mm-hmm. and of his intentions of running over what was last weekend because this announcement, uh, the votes were on Monday. Now, a little bit of background about Jimmy Anderson. Now, he was paralyzed in a car crash that left him confined to a wheelchair. And so he gave this emotional speech about the reception he received when he was talking to colleagues over last weekend. And he said, they were kind of questioning if he could handle handle the job, handle a leadership position due to his disability. So let's hear uh, from Representative Anderson right now. Many of you broke my heart this weekend. After about the 12th call of people asking me, can you even do this? There's insinuations that I was putting my own hubris, my own desires ahead of what I was capable of doing instead of trusting me to know what my limitations were despite proving in the past that I wouldn't do that to this caucus I have chosen to dedicate myself to this job to give everything that I can to improving the state to improving this caucus to trying to be 
a partner with you all. And this is what I get in return. I'd like to withdraw my name from consideration. So Jared, he also kind of talked about not in that video about how he also kind of went toe to toe with Assembly Speaker Robin Voss mm -hmm. during the pandemic because he wanted some accommodations mm -hmm. to come on the floor. So kind of not the first time we've seen Anderson really speak out yeah. um, to his colleagues about this. And his point on that front was that I'm the one person in this room who made Robin Voss do something he did not want to do. Correct. Nobody else could say they've done that. Because that background is um, the Assembly does not allow, for example, during or did not allow uh, during hearings to call in. There weren't these accommodations for somebody with a disability like Anderson has. He fought for those and forced Republicans' hand because he pressured Robin Voss. I mean, honestly, it was a public uh, pressure campaign and it worked. Mm -hmm. But on this leadership election, uh, what Anderson said was he was calling his colleagues and asking for their support. And when you do a leadership election, you're basically trying to get everybody to say, I'm, I'm committed to you. Not to say maybe, but I'm committed to you. I'm going to be a vote for you because when somebody has a maybe, it means there are no leadership elections. Right. So you have to have, in a 38-person caucus, you have to try and shoot for at least half, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, he's making the calls, trying to say, I've done this for you. Can you support me now? And the, the question was, well, can you do the job? We're worried about your, how it impact your health. And he said that's code when you have a disability for somebody who's able-bodied saying, I don't think you can do it. And that was offensive to him. And he said, look, I'm used to it from Republicans, but not from you guys. Now, in the end, Anderson dropped out of the race. Uh, Sheila Stubbs from Madison, she'd also kind of been putting out feelers about running for mayor leader. Assistant mayor leader, she did not run the end. So it was Kaylin Haywood, um, Supreme Moore, and Jody Emerson, who thought about running for minority leader, but then decided to go to the assistant route. Then, you know, Haywood, he'd been in leadership um, as Sergeant Arms. I've been told he's very attentive for being a young right, guy. Right, very young, young guy, yes. He's very much in the room where decisions are made, knows what's going on, very attentive that He's proven that he's you know, wise beyond his years. Um, <laughs> so that's probably why he, he had kind of built the support up. So I don't know if Anderson was getting anywhere in his calls, but obviously the reception he got offended him. And you can see why it would be offensive, right? You feel like you're questioning his ability because of his disability. Right. And we'll see what this new leadership will bring to the table in mm -hmm. the new year. Uh, let's move on now to state worker pay raises. Uh, Joint Committee on Employment Relations uh, met this week and signed off on pay raises that included in that was included in the budget. It was a 2% raise in January and there'd be another 2% in January 2023 or 2023. Correct. Now, the committee also declined to take up what's called a trailer bill that Evers proposed that included another $92.3 million for additional pay raises for prison guards and some state nurses. Now, the bulk of that change, an extra $5 an hour, was going to go towards the pay pro progression for guards. But instead, Republicans kind of did what they usually yep. do. They're going to take from that bill and see what they want to do. And the end result was that it would give uh, prison guards at maximum security prisons an extra $2 an hour. So during this pay raises, we had a debate between Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, debate, I guess, countering each other uh, about how this would be paid for because they have the ability to use federal relief mm -hmm. aid to pay for these pay raises. So let's first hear from Hintz and Voss kind of talking about that where Hintz is saying, why don't we use another route instead of federal resources? If I told people that they matter, that correction officers matter, that we're worried about your safety, that we value your service, yet I was unable to back it up with the appropriate authorization of state funds to actually reflect that care and recognition. 
um, that I would do a CYA motion like this and continue to beat the drums that we should use one-time money that was allocated for other resources to try to say, <coughs> use as an excuse that, well, we tried, we just thought they should use one-time money, dig a big hole. Again, uh, I think you know many of you have been speaking to try to find a way to not support uh, the you know, obligation that we have, which is to fund if they matter we pay for it and we pay for it in a way that doesn't set uh, undermine our ability to do it in the future um so i'm going to oppose this motion today because it's you know we're already entering silly season and it's not 2022 yet we have an opportunity to use federal dollars which are totally allowed to be used for this purpose and don't require us to spend almost twice as much to get the same bang for the buck and there's no reason not to say yes other than the fact that that's the politics that's being played. Uh, all it takes is for Governor Evers, through the stroke of a pen, to say yes. That's all that's required. So perhaps, if my Democratic colleagues would lead the way and show the governor that it's actually worthwhile to make the investment, maybe he'd say yes and change his mind, like he did on the budget, which nobody thought he would sign till it came before him, and all of a sudden he changed his mind because it was a great document that was good for the state of Wisconsin, and he said yes. Same opportunity exists here has to mean that you're strong enough to change your mind as opposed to doctrinaire enough to stick with what you've said under only the circumstances you describe you get to have the way that you want it so jay our end result here is that the committee approved the raises but didn't really find an answer of how to pay for it leaving it up to the agencies yeah so in the state budget they go through the comp plan we knew about the two and two for state employees so that was built into the budget they built money into it what happens is the administration has to kind of put the fine details to that pay plan. This is what they brought to the committee for its approval. Um, there's been a problem with prison guards vacancies for a long for time a long in Wisconsin. Time, yeah. We have two state prisons right now that are about 40% for vacancies for guards and sergeants, uh, Columbia and Waupon. And there are challenges. I mean, they are not a fun job. No, it's not yeah. a fun job. And corrections keep saying, look, we can, you can get paid more at Quick Trip than you can working in a prison guard as your initial step. So. In the budget, they included an extra $5 an hour for people working at the vacancy prisons with vacancy above 40%. That was there. What Evers had argued was that's still not good enough. We need to do something bigger for prison guards. So you have a pay progression in the state government where, you know, first year you make this, second year. They want to add five bucks an hour to each progression for all prison guards. That's why it was so expensive. What Voss is talking about is under the um, requirement from the federal government to qualify for billions of dollars in federal K-12 aid from COVID, you have to maintain your share of spending going to education as an overall share of state spending, right? So there's $90 million, 92.3 that Evers want to put into prison guards and nurses, that would require millions more for education to keep that same share of spending, right? You can't shrink this piece of the pie for education, the overall pie of state spending. That makes it more expensive. So Voss is saying, use the federal money. Mm -hmm. It's a problem for that. Whenever you do a budget in state government, what you spend in one year is your foundation for the next year. So if you get prison guards this raise with federal money, you have to make up $90 million next budget with state money because the ARPA money is going to go away eventually, right? Right. So then you start in a hole to keep the, the pay raises as they are without accounting for additional pay raises. That's the challenge. Which is a better path? Plus, two Republicans, remember, they've been unhappy with Evers and the ARPA money from day one because... Evers has sole authority of how to spend this money. They've passed bills about using it for, like, help with the mills in northern Wisconsin, uh, to do, like, tax cuts. I mean, they've had all kinds, like, I think 11 bills. Yeah, I was going to say about a dozen. 
and all were vetoed because Evers was saying, you're not going to tell me how to spend the money. Again, we don't have conversations in the Capitol anymore. We have like press, press release wars. But Evers has been very protective of that cash because it's also for him it's a great, great politically. Yeah, great. He's great handing campaign. out checks yeah. left and right saying, I'm doing... Republicans say, yeah, but you caused these problems because you shut down the economy um, in March of 2020 for stay-at-home order. That's for another show. The bottom line, though, is Republicans want any after they can to say, Evers, you should spend the money in this way. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Oh, by the way, we've got a billion-dollar surplus right now. Why not use the bur- surplus state money to pay for a need? Um, what's interesting to watch is how do these enhancements help, and do they close the gap? Because we're still paying. I mean, there are prison guards who came to that hearing this week and talked about how they're doing uh, forced overtime, double shifts, yeah. several times a week. Like, that's a lot of time to spend in a prison. Um, but guys who are in this no-man's land of, I can't retire yet, and I can't go find a different cure, they feel like they're stuck. So will this help? Possibly. But what's the next step to address this going for long-term? They don't have, there's not really a long-term answer just yet. It'll be interesting to see, does this cut the overtime and fill more positions the state prison system. Right, and how do you just even attract people to want to work in a prison, right? Like and well, like Wapon, for example, it's the oldest prison in the state system. Um, it's also not in a huge population center. It's also surrounded by lower security prisons. Mm-hmm. So if you're a prison guard, if you're both making, let's say, 25 bucks an hour, do I work in a maximum security prison that was built in the 1800s? Or like this newer one down the road that has less dangerous people in it? It's a pretty simple choice. But it's actually five bucks an hour now for maximum security prisons because they pulled out from that trailer bill, a couple provisions. So look, we like these things. We're not going to pay for state money, uh, extra state money. You figure out a way, because Corrections has the biggest budgets in the state. Um, They can probably find a way to absorb these costs. We'll see if that helps. And the other headline from this committee, too, was that all district attorneys in the state got raises or approved for raises all besides one. Mm-hmm. And that person was Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm. This is Republicans kind of reacting to his handling of the Daryl Brooks case, which was his bail before the Waukesha Parade incident, of which he's alleged of it killing six and injuring dozens of others. He was on a separate case set at $1,000 bail. And we've heard the calls from Republicans. Once again, they're re-upping their calls for Governor mm-hmm. Evers to launch an investigation and remove him from office. So this, in a sense, was they had the power to do this, and they did. Mm-hmm. So let's hear from Kapinga, excuse me, Senator Chris Kapinga, talk about this matter for the reasoning behind this. Uh, the proposal had included in it, and we pulled this out, a raise for the DA in Milwaukee. You know, recently in my district, we had a tragic event happen that was directly related to bad decisions that he's made. And um, so we pulled that provision out, and we do not feel that somebody who is failing at his job and is uh, has made decisions that has led to the death of um, um, more than a handful of people in my district, there's no way we're going to approve something like that, but yet the governor feels differently. So those are just a couple of comments that I wanted to make as as we went through this. Thank you. What's unique about this, though, is that current state law is that you can't get a pay mm-hmm. raise until your term, till your next term. Yep. So, in a sense, this really has no immediate impact on Chisholm. But, like I said, it's a statement from Republicans. Yeah. So, a couple things. Uh, also, there'll be another comp plan in 23, 2023 that could impact the side of the Milwaukee County DA. So, there's a chance they might make up for it later on. We'll see what happens. But... Um, this overall picture of the DA pay is that we have like five tiers right now for counties in Wisconsin. 
based on how big you are, right? Milwaukee County is the only kind of, call it class one largest uh, county in the state. We went from five tiers to three, this overall plan. They're trying to address an issue with district attorneys where there are DAs in the state saying, nobody wants to run for DA because my assistant makes more than I do. And if I leave, there's nobody really to take my place. So we need to address this. So by raising the DA pay, there's more of a incentive for a seasoned, um, very competent assistant DA to run for that office and serve as the prosecutor. With Chisholm, obviously symbolic, but what happens is this is now the starting point for your pay going forward. So that comp plan in 2023, you're a lower starting point. If everybody gets 2% in the next one, you miss the two and two in this one, so you're behind schedule. Now, the question is, is John Chisholm still the Milwaukee County DA right. in 2025? Because he would run for election in 2024. Who knows if he's gonna run? He said he's not gonna step down. Evers now has before him this uh, complaint to have him removed. He says he's gonna look into it. He's gonna study, make sure they're all Milwaukee residents first, or right. if there's a Milwaukee resident for looking at it. His office has stressed, you have to have cause to remove somebody from office. The other examples we've seen in recent history are like a DA who was showing up to work drunk and right. there was the, uh, sexual the, harassment. Yeah, the Eau Claire County uh, district attorney you're talking so, about. So uh, Ken Kratz up in the Fox Valley having inappropriate text messages with a victim, things like that. Um, this is a unique situation. This is a decision made about bail that led to a tragic uh, incident. What do you do there? Like what's gonna happen there? So anyway, the bottom line is there's no real impact right now it's a message to Chisholm, and it could hurt his successor. His successor might get less of a salary than he or right, she would have. Right. So we got to watch that comp plan in 2023 and see what they do the Milwaukee DA then. It will be definitely interesting. All right. Now let's move on to uh, Omicron yeah. and the new variant here in Wisconsin. So this week, state health officials did basically what they could. They couldn't issue any emergency order or shutdown of the state. But all they could was issue a public health advisory, really, really pleading with people to take precautions with this Omicron variant, which spreads more easily than Delta, is what the scientists are telling us. This, in turn, kind of resulted with an announcement that uh, FEMA workers, 20 of them we know as so far, are going to be sent to uh, a Green Bay Hospital, Beeline Health to offer some support because these workers are working double shifts, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're trying to do the best they can. Some hospitals are even turning people away, waiting long lines in the ERs because they just don't have bedrooms for them. Uh, so this also comes as President Biden this week made announcement that he's gonna deploy additional FEMA workers. We don't know if they're coming to Wisconsin or not. It's a little too early about that plan to help additional uh, healthcare facilities. And he's gonna be ramping up some COVID-19 testing. I kind of started off with this topic saying it's interesting because this is really all state health officials can do. We know there's been Supreme Court hearings that have limited Governor Evers' mm -hmm. authority when it comes to medication efforts. Before we get into that, uh, JR, let's hear from Dr. Westergaard, who serves um, on DHS, kind of issuing a warning to people to take this seriously. Vaccine-induced immunity wanes at about six months. That's the, the rationale for the strong recommendation to get a booster dose six months after the primary series. If you've been someone who's decided to not get vaccinated to this point, please reconsider please get vaccinated and get a booster dose for the sake of our collective public health. It's something that we need to ask everybody to do. And if you're someone who has decided or declined to wear a mask in public in the past, please hear this message differently because we're in a different place. We're in a very dangerous place and we need people to contribute in every way that they can to save the lives that we're in grave danger of not being able to save. 
health officials throughout this pandemic pleading, pleading, pleading people, mm -hmm. please get your vaccine. If you're eligible, go get that booster shot. But what we haven't seen is the Evers administration do anything like a vaccine incentive again. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing some other states do that, even just for booster shots. New York City is saying, hey, come get a booster shot. We'll give you a hundred bucks, but we're just not there yet. Yeah, so watch that. Um, President Biden announced they're gonna uh, ship 500 million, mm -hmm. I believe, at home tests. Um, haven't seen the contract yet to get those tests. Right. So that's be interesting to watch how that works. Because they're off the shelves right now. I mean, you can't get one anywhere, it seems like, right before the holiday. Yep. Also, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments January 7th, I think it is, about the Biden uh, vaccine mandate. So that's on hold. The question is, can the state get creative? Can they find something new? Or is this relying on people's sense of, I'm scared of this, or I'm going to do what's best for everybody and kind of get my shot? I'm not sure if that's going to work. It works so far. Mm -hmm. But what can the state do to be more creative than it's doing right now? Yeah. And uh, speaking about being creative, I guess the only thing that people can do is at the local level. Mm -hmm. So what Dane County did, which is the only county in Wisconsin that still has a mask order, they extended it. So they extended it until February 1st. But on that same exact day they extended it, the Wisconsin Supreme Court agreed to hear oral arguments to challenge that would, excuse me, hear oral arguments to end that mask order. Now that challenge was brought forth by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, who has long, you know, they're, they have a long background, mm -hmm. I guess, throughout this pandemic, challenging orders like this. Um, I'll read a little bit from the deputy counsel from Will, what he had to say. The Dane County Board cannot pass the buck and allow an unelected health officer to issue whatever order she fit whatever order she sees fit. Now, this kind of is the same argument in a sense that when Governor Evers was issuing multiple back-to-back -back extending the mask order, Will's argument is that you can't use the same emergency mm -hmm. order again and again and again. You've got to declare a new emergency. So here. here, if the board were issuing the order, it'd be a different story. Correct. They're saying you have a health official doing it on his or her own. It should be the board extending it. If the board wants to do it, they want to see votes basically by the board each time they want to extend it. So now the question is, when's the court going to hear it? And will we have a, a lesser need for mass mandates by the time the court hears it? If it takes several months, we could be out of this wave and on to a different, different wave possibly. Right, or yeah. Even the road to like this thing starting to die down quite a bit. So. And there was a Dane County supervisor before things got worse. He was also trying to get some of his colleagues to vote against mm -hmm. and ending the mask order. So everything is just changing. So there's a lot of emotions, I guess, around this as well. Uh, another big headline this week that just came down on Wednesday is that for the first time, Foxconn finally has qualified for state tax credits ever since they broke ground in the Mount in Mount Pleasant. Now they will receive 28.8 million for 2020 out of 29.1 million, which was the max that they could receive. They say that they have created 579 jobs, which is within that target to mm -hmm. get those tax credits. Uh, the capital investment did fall short a little bit at 26.8 million. And then the company also claimed it created 970 jobs in 2020 and invested about close to 900 million. So this comes after the Evers, Evers administration uh, created a new amended contract with Foxconn that kind of drastically reduced the company's job and capital investment. Mm -hmm. And this is just historic in its nature because a lot of people have been waiting. We've, you know, you drive by the facility, you see it, you don't really see many workers there. Is what Democrats claim. We don't really know what's going on in that facility, mm -hmm. but. I mean, Foxconn to take, can take a victory lap here in a sense. So Evers signed the new contract in April. It basically maxes out at $80 million. Um, Republicans have kind of knocked this saying, well, look, the contract Walker signed only paid them if they made these benchmarks or not meet the benchmarks. Therefore, there was no, we weren't paying him anything. 
the contract worked as it's supposed to. That contract, though, to some people also exposed the state to lawsuits because Foxconn could say, you keep saying we're not qualifying, we think we are, we're going to take you to court and try and get the whole shebang because the Walker contract was for uh, $13 billion in investment, $10 billion investment, yep. mm-hmm. um, with $3 billion in credits total. Now, those are state credits. It doesn't count like the cost of the road work around the Foxconn plant or what the locals have done to develop that business development in that area. So here we have the first time they're qualifying for the credits. We don't know what they're making at Foxconn just yet. There's still so many questions. Yeah. We do know it's not the flat screens flat the size of garage TVs. doors. That was, supposed, that was the original vision, right? Giant flat screens. It was going to be this ripple effect. Uh, Scott Walker called it Wisconsin Valley. Donald Trump called it the eighth wonder of the world. It's going to be this transformative project in that district, right, in the state of Wisconsin. Hasn't panned out. We're not sure what they're going to do. But there's certainty here, right? It's like any other job creation credit now because the percentages are around the same as a typical uh, job incentive package. There are clear benchmarks. You've got to hit this, this, and this. It ends in 2025, I believe. 80 million bucks, state's done. And then the Foxconn chapter, whatever Foxconn becomes, it's, hey, they're there, right? Uh, So it's interesting to watch is what are they going to make? is it be, it's not going to be transformative at this point. We're not seeing any signs of this like, really having a ripple effect across the area. Although, there's development down there. I mean, uh, 94 is eight lanes, in, you know, total right. north and south. There's things going on. Um, what are they going to do right. and, for the money? And the biggest, one of the biggest vocal critics of this is Representative Gordon Hintz, mm-hmm. who, you know, in a statement said, you know, great, good for them, but there's still so many questions. Sure, they created 500-something jobs. What are those people doing? Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't know. And like we've said before, what are they making? It still remains Robin, to be seen. Robin Vossi, Assembly Speaker, it's in his district, um, says, hey, this is great news for Racine County. Um, they're investing in Wisconsin. Let's go. Of course, Robin, you know, he's t- closely tied to this along with Scott Walker. I mean, think about it. This district, this project was pl- put in a battleground state that Donald Trump needed in the district of Paul Ryan, who was in the House Speaker, in the district of the Assembly Speaker, in a state where Governor Scott Walker at the time was going to be running for the election the next year. So there were lots of political pieces to this. Mm-hmm. Now the question too is how wedded is the Evers administration to make this thing succeed, right? For Foxconn, some of the incentive to be in Wisconsin has gone away because Trump is not in office, Walker is not in office, Paul Ryan's not in office. <laughs> you know, it's just the thing has changed dramatically. There's, you cannot de- ignore the political overtone or political connection of why Foxconn was here, especially because does it make sense financially to build stuff like flat screens in Wisconsin versus going to Asia where most of them are made? All right. Well, that will do it for this week. But before we go, I do want to tease that you should stay tuned for December 28th. We are going to have our year in review where we're going to count down some of the biggest political stories of the year. Me and JR will nerd out and you should <laughs> tune in for it because we count them all down. So uh, that will do it for this week, though. Uh, I hope you guys have a safe and happy holiday. And for now, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association. The voice of real estate.